praise to Lord. Lord, we ask for your guidance tonight in this service. We pray that your spirit will lead us and we will move at your command. We'll say only the things you want us to say. And God bless every child of God listening to you tonight. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. Well, <clears throat> we are indeed living in interesting times. And with this system that we are using to broadcast the word, um, the live streaming, um, it almost sounds like live screaming, and that happens when we're not live streaming. But we're glad that God has given us this opportunity to be able, in spite of you not being here, to share the word of God with you and to encourage your spirits and your souls in this time of crisis. Of course, there has not been one grace of God, whether it be marriage or raising children, there has not been one grace of God that the devil has not undermined and perverted. And so the simple concept of us streaming this and me talking to not only my congregation but an international audience, you know, the devil can capitalize on that. And if I'm not prepared to handle the concept that I'm speaking to many individuals um, worldwide, I can be inflated. And that is why Paul made a statement to Timothy. He said, Ordain not a novice, lest he being lifted up with pride fall into the condemnation of the devil. I can feel this is an opportunity to show you how great a preacher I am. I can use this as, this as an opportunity to, you know, to sort of spiritually show off uh, what I can do behind the pulpit. And a lot of times we don't even know what we're qualified to do as ministers. I pray that this live streaming will not be utilized or manipulated by the devil to undermine what God's plan is to provide this medium that we can receive the word of God. And that is why, uh, that is why Paul says, do not ordain a novice. You see, one of the things uh, one of the greatest temptations the devil would do is to undermine the faith of preachers. And if he can pervert the concept uh, or the faith of preachers, if he can try to inflate their ego and they get inflated spiritually uh, speaking, then they will corrupt the gospel. And I pray that God would help me uh, pastoring this church here in Mississauga that I would never come to that place where my ego is inflated. The process that God has brought me through many years now, and this year would mark almost 54 years since I went out full-time into the ministry. The years that God has worked with me through many, many trials, many, many difficult trials, has worked a discipleship in my life that has made me uh, not wanting to have fame and popularity. It's not my cup of tea. As a matter of fact, I told someone today, I said, you would not believe if I tell you I do not like preaching. Um, since I was small, growing up as a young man, I never liked preaching. I would prefer the other people to preach and I would come in late when we were young growing up. Uh, we had Sunday schools we'll run and I would 
purposely come on into church late when the testimonies are done and that preacher is starting to preach, then I come on in, so I will not be called to testify. I really never liked preaching, and today I'm caught in the situation where the Lord is putting me to preach. And so here am I talking to you, and I would pray that the devil would not under, undermine this that God is allowing to exist in our time. Now we live in a time where there's all kinds of conspiracy theories. Uh, people have concluded that this virus is man-made, well, whatever it was. Uh, people have concluded that uh, this was all orchestrated by uh, some people that were rich in society. Well, there's always been conspiracy theories and suggestions. Whether it's factual or non-factual, I would like to, us to remember that God is in control. Even the devil cannot do anything that God would not allow him to do. Uh, when he was about to tempt Job, you remember? It was God that said to the devil, when Satan went and approached himself uh, before God, he went up and all the sons of God uh, were gathered before the Lord in the, God, in the book of Job. It says Satan also presented himself. And the Lord said unto Satan, have you tried my servant Job? And you will find through the entire book of Job, not one time, even though the devil was given permission, and at one time God says, okay, uh, the, the devil said, you stretched out your hand to Job and take all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And God says, okay, you go and take, take away all that he has. The devil had permission to take all that Job had, but not to touch him and kill him. And then the concept came up of afflicting Job with sicknesses. And the devil was given permission again to afflict Job, uh, his body, but not to take his life. You see, I'm here talking to you tonight, and I don't believe the devil can take my life unless God permits him to. And if I am in that place that I am insecured in God's presence, I can, I can willingly quote a scripture. If I dwell in the secret place of the Most High, which most people don't dwell in, I can say, a thousand shall fall at my side and 10,000 at my right side and nothing shall harm me. I can't say that if I am not dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Well, uh, we quote scriptures and so the devil can also quote scriptures. But what I'm saying tonight is the devil cannot bring anything against us that God has not permitted. The trials that you receive, God has permitted. The persecution that you receive, God has permitted. And this is why I look at the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews as a great champ, uh, chapter of encouragement. And it contains the, the lifestyle short captions of champions <coughs> of the gospel. And so... When I'm thinking of the period of time that we're living in, we have an enemy. He's the devil. And whether he uses a human means to bring problems in the earth or supernaturally, it's controlled by uh, viruses in reality, whatever it is, the situation we're going through right now is permitted by God. I believe God is sovereign. Nothing can happen except God permits it. 
And the Lord said that when we dealt with scriptures in the early days of this virus when we just started to uh, stream the messages, I used a scripture in, in uh, Chronicles where the Lord says, if, uh, if I send a pestilence, if I send a pestilence, another scripture the Lord said, if I send the sword. And so the pestilence, even though God directly does not send it, he indirectly allows it when his people are in rebellion. And so when you think about it, God is always in control. And so I'm not concerned about who does what. I'm concerned that I'm a child of God and I must walk right. I must dwell, uh, Psalmist David says, he that... Uh, uh, he that um, a man uh, he that, uh, that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, Psalms uh, Psalms gives us all of this. The Psalms of David gives us gives us all this protection that we can safeguard ourselves from. But <clears throat> the reality is, we are living in an age where there are prophecies that indicates to us. A prophecies that indicate to us what will transpire. Now, I can say that I have the final say on prophecy. A lot of times, I would say I'm speculating. And it puts me in that better position that I can say I'm speculating. Maybe this is what God is doing. Well, in the book of Revelation, I would like to uh, touch on an area here that is very important for us to understand the time frame that we are in. In Revelation, the 12th chapter, and uh, those of us in this fellowship, we know how we have interpret this, uh, interpreted this scripture for many years. In Revelation, the 12th chapter, it says, There appeared, verse 1, a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars, now, what I want you to understand is that when John was on the Isle of Patmos, there are many things that he wrote in this revelation of John, uh, revelation concerning Jesus, uh, revelation concerning what will transpire ahead of his time, that John was able to see in a vision. Now, back there, John was limited in his vocabulary in that he could not use terminologies that have been uh, advanced in our day and age. For example, if John saw an airplane, he would not say it's an airplane. The word airplane never existed. Uh, if he saw a helicopter, he would not say helicopter because that never existed. So we'll have to understand that John is writing in the vocabulary available to him in that time. And so his description made lack some reality. And that is why, to me, a lot of it is parabolic. And God must help us to understand. That is why we need the Spirit of God in the church. And so here we have done our best to interpret that uh, there was a great wonder in heaven here. A woman clothed with the sun. And we describe this woman as the church. And this woman was clothed with the sun, the sun of righteousness. And the moon under her feet. And upon her head were twelve stars. And we try to see how best this can relate to uh, the church today and what it is about to face. And so when John was writing this 2,000 years ago, he saw this woman clothed with the sun and the moon was on her feet. We believe 
The sun symbolizes the righteousness that we receive from Christ. At the moon on her feet was her standing on the old principles of the laws of God. Uh, the moral laws of God that was in the Old Testament. And upon her head, she had a crown of 12 stars. Now we have occasionally tried to put that. Some said it's the 12 uh, tribes of Israel represented. And we have said that we believe it's the 12 apostles. Well, speculating that, it's all good. But as we move on in this chapter, it says, And she being with child cried. This woman, the church, will bring forth a man-child. She is, uh, she is, uh, she cried travailing in birth with, and pain to be delivered. And it says in, the ver in verse 3, And there it appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Now, when we look at the scripture, later on, you'll find that in verse 9 of that chapter, it says, And the great dragon was cast out. Who is that great dragon? The old serpent. Who is that old serpent? Called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. So, whether you call him the dragon, or you call him that old serpent, or you call him the devil or Satan, we know we have an enemy. And he will stand before the woman just prior to the bride being take, caught away. He stands before the woman prior to the bride being caught away. And what is he doing? She's travailing in birth to bring forth. And he is standing there and it says, uh, his, um, his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So when I try to put all of this together in my little human mind, I have concluded that prior to the bride being caught away, there'll be an onslaught on the church. The warfare we fight with the devil is not a physical warfare. It's a spiritual warfare. And that is what Paul meant in, in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, when he says we need to put on the whole armor of God as we engage in this spiritual warfare. Well, how is the devil standing before the woman ready to devour her man, the man-child as soon as it was born? What it means is the devil will do everything to undermine the development of the overcomers in the church. And if there ever was a time of great apostasy, it's in our day. Uh, we think of all kinds of means that we can justify our actions. There has never been another period of time where there is such a division in Christianity like it is today. We in the Gospel Assembly Church, we call ourselves the body of Christ. But if you go and check out our individual operations, there is diversity in our operations also. Some might be approved of God. And others may not be approved of God. So what is the devil doing? Well, he's sitting back just waiting for the man-child to be born. No, he will do everything to undermine our faith. During this pandemic situation, where you're home, the devil is working nonstop on every child of God that's home today, trying to see if he can distract you from even listening to the word of God that I'm preaching here. If he can <coughs> immobilize you, 
if he can affect your prayer life, if he can get you to spend your day wasted, <clears throat> he has accomplished a lot. Because if he can prevent the church coming to that place where the word of God is incorporated in the, same, the lives of the saints, he is accomplishing quite a lot. He is ready to destroy the man-child as soon as it was born. So what do I expect? I expect the devil to come with full force against the church. I expect him to come today and war with us. We know the end result. And this is what gives me confidence because as I'm battling with my battles today and I'm dealing with my trials today, sometimes I feel like we're not going to make it. You see, I look at Revelation chapter 14 and I'll skip over there just for a moment. In Revelation, the 14th chapter, and we believe that this describes the bride of Christ. It says there, John said in chapter 14, verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, he did not, John did not write on, and I'm not playing on words because we know Jesus, and this book was not written in English to begin with. But we're looking at the name of the Father or the Father's nature. Every Many times the word name will describe the nature of someone and the name of the Father written in their foreheads. It's not on their forehead, it's in their foreheads. It means they can think like God wants them to think. The Father's thoughts are in their minds. Uh, their minds have been touched by God and cleansed. That is why Paul wrote and he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And one of these days, maybe on the weekend, I'll try to show you how important it is to have the mind of Christ. And we've got a beautiful lesson on this particular subject. But the Father's name to be written in your forehead means that you're not thinking like a carnal Christian. You're not thinking like your grandpa or your grandma or some traditional concept. You're not thinking of even like past leaders. You're thinking as Christ would have you think, as the Lord Jesus would have you think. And when this happens, it goes on further here, and it says um, in verse, um, uh, verse 3, And this song, as it were, a new song before the throne, and uh, before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man, the 144,000, had a song, had a message, had an understanding that no man could learn except the hundred and forty and four thousand. And they go on to, it goes on to say, and uh, they, had, uh, they were redeemed from the earth. So this is after the resurrection and the bride of Christ are before the throne of God in heaven. They are from the earth, redeemed from the earth. Well, I think they are the bride of Christ. This man-child uh, spoken of in Revelation the 12th chapter. So let us back up a little in the concept. Who are this? Who is this man child? The 144,000. Who are the 144,000? He that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne as I overcame and am set down with my father in his throne? It is, it is describing overcomers. Now let's see how much we can find. In our day, we're looking. Well, let's read a little more about these. These 144,000. You know, I like to sing. I like to sing songs that makes me feel like I'm qualified to sit and rule and reign with Christ. Well, let's find out. 
Now let's be practical. Let's get out of the little fantasy box and let us see what the reality of Scripture really says. Uh, so, uh, here in verse 3, These are they which were not defiled with women. We know the terminology women describes this, this harlot system in Revelation 17 that describes Latin Christianity. This woman with the golden cup full of the fornication in her hands and she made all nations drunk, all the kings of the earth drunk with the wine of her fornication. But this woman also had, has harlot daughters. This mother of harlots, the Bible calls her. So apostate Christianity, as it apostatized and became very paganish, paganish, paganish in its customs, she gave birth to many other organizations. Someone says, well, you know, thank God for the Reformation. I thank God for the Reformation too. I thank God for great men like Martin Luther and John and Charles Wesley and John Calvin and some of these great reformers of the old. But you know, they were reformers. I like the term that was used to describe them, not transformers. They were reformers. Now keep that in mind. And so when a man like Martin Luther stood against Latin Christianity or the Catholic Church in that period of time, he stood there and challenged the system. And what was born? The Lutheran Church was born. So we have organizations like the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, and all these many, many denominations coming out of Rome. <clears throat> Mama gave birth, and a child was a harlot daughter. But the Lutheran Church today, and I respect the men, I respect the early fathers, I respect our leaders of the past. I think about today, I was thinking about what would it be to find Brother William Souders, go back there and see him how he operate. I don't think he wanted a title. I don't think he was a proud, exalted, arrogant individual. I think he was a calm man, very tranquil in his presentation of the gospel. I believe he was a simple man. What the fashion world was wearing was not his interest. What the sports world was get, getting carried away with was not his interest. What the entertaining world was car carrying on with was not his interest. Talk about simplicity. These men were simple. And whether it's the founder of a Lutheran church, or the founder of the Presbyterian church, or the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist church, when you look at the original founders of these movements, they were simple people. But, like I said, a harlot daughter is having that desire to go back to mama. Well, you and I today in Gospel Assembly Church, we will look back and we condemn them all. We call them Babylon and all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> but the question is, are we drinking of the wine of her fornication? Well, in Paul's day, he would not even tolerate or accommodate one false doctrine. He said, Hamanias and Philetus do err, <coughs> teaching that the resurrection is past and they overthrow the faith of some. Well, you and I today, we wonder <coughs> what we are, what are we accommodating in our, in our minds? 
And there are much, there's much more I want to say, but I'll say it in my local church because I'm streaming right now. I'm restricted because my desire is not to create division. But the Word of God will create division eventually. Jesus said, I come not to send peace, but a sword. So here I am. I'm the body of Christ. I'm a part of the Gospel Assembly Church. You know, we are out of Babylon. Are we really? <clears throat> Was Babylon a building? Was it an organization out there? Why didn't the early church preach about Babylon? Well, Babylon is a spiritual system that we can't just walk out like we walk out the front door. I walk out of Egypt in one day, but how long does it take Egypt to get rid of Egypt from my heart? And so today, we are calling ourselves the body of Christ, and I want to ask, is the body of Christ needing healing? Am I drinking of the wine of her fornication? Am I celebrating her pagan customs? Am I flaunting myself with all kinds of pagan concepts? If I'm doing that, then my sanctification is obstructed by my rebellion. And so, getting back to the concept here. These, in verse 4, were not defiled with women. You see, until I come to the place, if I want to be a part of this 144,000, I've got to unshackle from every concept that belongs to apostate Christianity. I must un be unshackled. I must be free from the mother and her harlot daughters. But I can say all that I want, and if I'm celebrating her pagan customs and her pagan rituals, and I'm carrying on with her pagan false doctrine somewhere, well, brother saying, <clears throat> you know, I'm reading this book, and the man who wrote the book, 90% of his doctrines are not right. But you know what? He got a few little thoughts here. Well, <clears throat> my friend, you are drinking of the wine of her fornication. Because Paul told Timothy, he says, shun profane and vain babbling. What it will do? It will increase unto more ungodliness. It will affect and undermine your spirituality. His word, a vain babbler's word, his doctrine, one false doctrine, will eat your soul as a canker. And you don't see drifting, it's gradual. You don't see backsliding, it is gradual. It doesn't happen in a blast. It happens gradually. And before you know it, a nation like Israel, before you know it, a church that's powerful at one time can slowly deteriorate and lose its, its commitment, especially in this day when we have an enemy wanting to devour the man-child as soon as it, he is born. The devil would like to destroy every man of God that wants to see perfection and maturity develop and sinlessness and blamelessness develop in his congregation. And so, there's 144,000. You tell me when you qualify. Tell me if you qualify. These are they which were not defiled with women. Do you qualify? I'm hoping that this assembly here in Mississauga would come to the place that we'll so slowly come to the place that we give up the wine of our fornication. See, the Bible talks of two cups, the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. 
Hollywood has the cup of the Lord. No, my friend, absolutely not. Sports have the cup of the Lord because some Christians are playing. I don't care who is playing. It is not the cup of the Lord. Well, that love song and the worldly music, it has a little touch of the Lord. No, 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 it does not. You cannot serve God and the devil at the same time, money at the same time. You cannot enjoy light and darkness at the same time. Light and darkness would not mix. So when I'm looking at this group of individuals, it says, these are virgins. Well, somebody says, well, you know, it looks like the bride of Christ is going to be made up of women. Because they're all virgins. Someone says, no, 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 you have male virgins too. That's not what it's talking about, my friend. It's talking about one who was contaminated like that beggar that Hannah spoke about in, in, in the Samuels, uh, in the book of Samuel, that said God lifted the beggar from the dust and, the, and from the dunghill and make him stand as a pillar in the coming kingdom. God is taking us from the basis area of life and he's bringing us into maturity and that is what I'm talking about and that is why it is so important that you guard your salvation he goes on he says I'm reading that over these are they which are not defiled with women why because they're virgin if I'm sitting here and I'm praying that the Lord make a virgin out of my mind and make a virgin out of my desire because I was so contaminated, Lord, at one time. But my mind is feeding on filth. I will never, ever, ever become a virgin. So the devil wants to destroy your life and he wants to destroy my life by letting the world here offer us things that we really should avoid. You see, <clears throat> well, brother saying, you know, the devil made me do it. Now, listen to me carefully. The devil can make you do nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing that you're not willing to do yourself. The devil is as powerful in your life as you allow him to. Biggest cop out of all time is to say the devil made me do it. No, he can't make you do anything against your will. And that is why we call ourselves, when we, we can make it to the end, there's 144,000, they're called overcomers because they've conquered the devil. It says they're virgins. What else it says in verse 4? These are they which follow <coughs> the Lamb. Now, I woke up this morning and I put my mind on God. And did I follow the Lamb today? Did I wait on the Lord to direct me? Did I have a communication with Jesus all day? Well, these guys here in, in Revelation 14, they follow the Lamb. What we have done for years as ministers, I'm including myself, we make plans and hope God fits in. We make an arrangement, we plan a meeting, we plan things, and we hope Jesus the Lamb can follow us. It ain't gonna happen. The Lamb I know would not follow any one of us. But these are they that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And that is why discipleship is so important. That is why Jesus said, if any man will come after me, here is how it starts. To be an overcomer, it starts with the demands for discipleship. 
You don't reach to this place of being a virgin and follow the Lamb with us wherever he got <clears throat> overnight. It starts with discipleship. And so he says, These are they which follow the Lamb with us wherever he got. <clears throat> they were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And verse 5 says, In their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, do you know of someone that fills all of these qualifications that's, re re that's mentioned here in Revelation? They just followed the Lamb like Jesus said. He says, I came not to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. Do you know of anyone? Maybe you are. Maybe you just don't do contrary things. Maybe you don't just carry, get carried away with the cup of the devil. You just drink the cup of the Lord. <clears throat> These are the individuals that must sit with Christ and rule and reign for a thousand years and bring the kingdom, the world in subjection and establish the kingdom. They are not a bunch of fickle individuals. They are overcomers, my friend. They are overcomers. And so, uh, because the process takes time, and I think I will be talking about some of this on the weekend, but before the service beats us and gets, comes to a close, <clears throat> let's follow, follow with me here into Romans, the uh, 12th chapter of Romans. And so the process, discipleship, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ is an important process. Now, there are two scriptures I want to, to give you tonight. And one is found in Peter, one is in Romans, the, uh, the 12th chapter of Romans, and the other is in Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now we start with 1 Peter chapter 2, and <clears throat> excuse me, uh, just clearing my throat ever so often after preaching for 50 something years, <clears throat> I always have to put a halls in my mouth uh, to keep me preaching. And, well, I'm a preacher, I have to preach. Um, even though I don't like to preach, I have to preach. I'm called to preach the gospel. And uh, here it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said, now if every one of us can obey this verse, one verse in 1 Peter, we're okay. It says, wherefore, laying aside all malice, all malice, and all guile, the subtlety of disobeying God and corrupting things and all hypocrisies well who's a hypocrite well there's everyone that I know has a certain amount of hip hypocrisy in their life some are bigger hypocrites than others if you're sitting in a church and God can flash your secret thoughts and your secret life before the entire congregation, would you be able to sit there and look at it? If you can't, then you're concealing certain things that you don't want anyone else to see, and that's fine. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men. But you're to work on those things you have to conceal because it's, it's hypocrisy to conceal things in your life and pretend that you've conquered them. So Paul says, Peter says, Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies, envies and all evil speaking, he says as newborn babes, desire 
the reasonable milk, which is without guile, margin says the sincere milk of the word, the margin says the reasonable milk, which is without guile, that you may grow thereby. It's a job. We're not here just to fill the, fill the benches up in church and have a jolly good time. We're here to change. And tonight as I'm talking to you, we should all examine ourselves. Has this pandemic made me go backward and backslidden or has it drawn me closer to God? Well, I can tell you about myself. I don't know about you. It hasn't eliminated all hypocrisies from my life, but it has drawn me closer to God. It has given me a stronger desire to serve God. I strive really good in the, in the, in the face of opposition and negative situations. I love when I, I'm, I'm encountering a mountain. I love when a storm is raging and I have to make a trip across it. As a matter of fact, literally, I like storms and spiritually, I like storms. Literally, when there's a snowstorm, I like to take my car and go out into the snow and drive. That is why if the weatherman says there is going to be snow today, I don't find a reason to stay home. I find all the reason to come to church. Because I must prove to the, to the weather and prove to the devil and prove to the enemies of the work of God that they cannot just bring a storm and stop me. The fiery trials of my life are not designed to burn me up. It's designed to burn the chaff out of my life and your life. And so <clears throat> Peter says here, as, this, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. And if it be so, uh, if so, if so be, you have taste, tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom come in as unto a uh, living stone disallowed indeed of men and chosen of God and precious. He said, as uh, you also as deadbeats are built up a carnal church. Is that what it says? No. It says you also as lively stones. You see, when you come to church, come into his presence with praises and thanksgiving. <clears throat> we go from one extreme starchy bound up church to an extremely violent and emotional church. No, we're children of God. We come on in, and I must be pleasant in my approach and my praises to God. Lord, I thank you. There's so many things. David said, I bless the Lord at all times. When things are good, when things are bad. And so I must understand that. What brought the walls of Jericho down praises? In the midst of war. The Israelites praised God. When Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi, what opened the prison doors and brought an earthquake? Praises. They had no reason to praise God. They had stripes on their backs. Well, when I look at this situation around me, I must understand that God is sovereign. There's nothing the devil can do. That God does not have a plan for it. One day Jesus looked at Peter and he says, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you. As wheat. But Jesus said, I prayed for you. And I believe the Lord has prayed for you also and me. And that is why over here it says, We're lively stones and we're building up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God and to God's Son. Here in Romans, the 12th chapter, yes, uh, just a little brief touch on this scripture, and we're, we're done. 
It says here, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, I'm begging you. He's talking to a church that was never really eventually saved. He made a lot of sacrifice to come to Rome. And it looks like Paul's experience in Rome did more for him than it did for the church. A lot of times a preacher, the, the, the field that God takes him in, his wilderness is designed to save him. To eliminate all the junk out of his life that the devil has accumulated. And so here Paul is writing, he says, I'm begging you therefore by the mercies of God that you present in this congregation, in the church at Rome, bring all your bodies together and let it become a living sacrifice. You know, a sacrifice is put on an altar, it has no future. That lamb placed on an altar, that sacrifice has no future. It's in the hand of the one, the priest, that's about to sacrifice him. If you still control all your affairs and you still got a control of your life, <clears throat> I can tell you what. You will not come forth in the bride of Christ. You will not be numbered with 144,000. You'll come forth with the queen of the south and you'll be saved at that time. But to be in the bride of Christ, you've got to be more than just someone that every wind carries you about. Not tossed to and fro by every wind of concept or fashion and doctrine or anything that's happening out there, a fad in society. Children of God, this is a good time to test your Christianity. This is a good time to find out if you're a real, genuine Christian or you're a hypocrite. And if you discover you're a hypocrite, guess what? There is hope. Because when I'm thinking the end, you see, if I were to look at the world today, I'd be discouraged. Oh God, all these trials. But when Moses, for the recompense of the reward, he endured the sacrifices and made the suffering. We'll talk more about this some other time. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured, endured the cross, despising the shame. And if I read the end chapter of the book, which says they're standing before God, I will not give up on me yet. Because if God hasn't given up on me, I should not be giving up on me. I wouldn't give up on my brothers and sisters. Who knows, maybe that weak one that sits next to you might be on a throne in the coming kingdom. But it takes a lot to sit on the throne. Oh, everybody's going to rule and reign with Christ. You've got to be kidding. Here it says, and you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Holy. Holy. Not your standards. God's standards. Holy. Acceptable unto God, which is not asking you too much, which is your reasonable service. And then the next verse, and when we're done, and be not confirmed to this world, but be reformed by the renewing of your mind. So what you got to do, just put a white shirt on, comb your hair clean, get a clean shaven face. Don't worry with the heart. Test the outward appearance. Do the reformation. Clean the outside. Look like a Christian. Tremble your, tremble, 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 tremble your voice like a Christian. Shake your hand like a Christian. That's not what he's talking about. When God comes, be not confirmed to this world. The religious world, the ungodly world, the sinful world, the fashion world, the sports world, the entertaining world. Do not be confirmed to it. But let Christ renew you by your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, you have to understand, first of all, 
What is the world? What is he talking about? Love not the world. What is he talking about? For the lust of the world and the passions of the world will pass away. But he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. What is the world? If your concept for, uh, as to what the world is, is already misguided. And the devil has created a different concept in your mind. You're deceived. Because that's what you have come, concluded. You, make, you design your own custom cross. That this is what I want to do. You can't do that. To be in the bride of Christ. To be among the 144,000. You've got to fill in all those qualifications. And is it possible? Well, the end of the book tells us that God made it possible. So is it possible today? Yes, it is. But it makes a take demands a lot of sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might experience or prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I love that song we sang tonight. Uh, to understand God's will, to understand his demands for my life. Beautiful song. Maybe that's where I got the message from. It says, to have a heart that's pure, a spirit just like yours, a faith that will endure. That's my desire, to lift up holy hands, your will, not my will, your will to understand, to move at your command. That's my desire. This message was completely not planned for, but God just spoke to us tonight, and I believe he did. And may God help us to see the challenge that's set before us. Listen what you do. Set a goal. Let Revelation 14, uh, chapter 14, be the goal. You see that first part, all those qualifications, put that as a goal and work towards it. Not how much money you're going to make as a goal. Not how many places you're going to visit as a goal. Not how much of weight you're going to lose as a goal. Set some spiritual goals in your life. Paul says, he says, I have not yet apprehended that which the Lord has apprehended me for. But this is what I do. Forgetting the things which are behind. And reaching forth unto this, the things which are before. I press towards the goal, the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. His will is important. Let us pray. Father, again we thank you for this Wednesday night. We thank you for your word that can challenge our lives. We thank you, Father, that you can help us, that in spite of our nothingness, you can still make some things, uh, something out of our lives. When the world rejected Jesus, so as many, your word says, as received him, to them he gave the authority and the power and the ability to become sons of God. Help us, O oh God, that we might strive to excel in your presence. And let us come to that place where contamination would be gradually eliminated until all is gone from our lives. Let us see the goal set before us and give us the strength, because it's not by might, human might, nor by human power, but by your spirit, Lord. So please help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, and amen, and amen. And God bless you all. Mm -hmm.